Hello, friends, and welcome to your Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. It's a happy Monday, friends. And if the evidence of Saturday is anything to go by, there might be quite a few of these this season because, friends, Ipswich Town are top of the table. Who predicted that before the kickoff? Ah, yes, it was me. Um, we'll have to talk about that in due course. We're back up as well, full strength, because back from his little uh, swan off to Paris, eating French pastries, liaising with Mickey Mouse, numerous princesses, the doctor, our leader, the leader of the dressing room, Stuart Watson. How are you? Hello. Good to be back. How are we all? We're all yeah, right? Good. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, Stu, what was the best bit about your your time in, in Paris and France? Zutalor. Um Eiffel Tower's big, isn't it? It's first I don't know, I've never seen it. Well, yeah. bigger bigger than I than I imagined. That's my first takeaway. Uh the highlight was meeting the big man, Michael Mouse. <laughs> um queued up, queued up for an hour. Well worth the wait. My daughter was very, very excited. She's uh she's seven, so she's in the sweet spot for Disneyland. So yeah, magical, magical memories. Loved it. Great family holiday. Does uh, old Mr. Mouse, does he talk or does he just use hand movements and motions to communicate? Exactly that. No, they, they, they don't talk. Okay. No. I wonder if they might have the, uh, the, the, uh, the accent down, not French, actually how Mickey Mouse talks. Um, what else were your highlights, Stewie? Because you, you went to the, a land of great cuisine, French cooking, obviously, at the heart of pretty much every cuisine, certainly fine dining across the world. Um, what was the best thing you ate? Well... Yes, I did go to France, known for its great cuisine, but I also did go to Disneyland, which is um, it has many, many strengths, but the catering <laughs> at those sort of places isn't isn't top of their um, of their Agenda. Uh, attributes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah, when well, we have to be a little bit careful, well, very careful because my daughter yeah. has a peanut allergy. So um, yeah, Rainforest Cafe was probably the highlight. Have you ever been to one of those? I don't it's believe like I a, have. It's a um, restaurant sort of looks like you're in a in a rainforest. Every 20 minutes, you get sort of uh, animatronic animals kind of moving around and flashes of thunder and stuff like that. Loads of trees and vegetation. That cool. sounds so really exciting. I shall uh, add that to my list of places I need to go. As I should also add, you you went to Paris. I've not been there. I need to go there. I've also, friends, shamefacedly, never been to Liverpool, which is where Ross spent three days last week for his good ladies birthday ross how was it how are you i'm very well and yeah it was, it was lovely yeah we, lovely weather as well we looked at the forecast and went oh god this could be a bad few days because it was forecast to rain but no, beautiful weather and uh yeah liverpool well uh, i've been before um on a lad's stag do um so of course you didn't really you know a stag do you don't really enjoy the the city for that uh the, the fine culture. bits of the city yeah, yeah. The culture and all that but um for this trip it was uh yeah it was nice to treat my my lovely lady to uh a birthday treat in Liverpool and yeah, yeah, few drinks, um, ate some good food. Um, yeah, it was good. And you went to the Cavern Club as well, which obviously is yeah. uh, made famous by a small band called the Beatles. It had little impact on the world of music. That was good, was it? Yeah, it was decent. Yeah, there was um, yeah, band in there that, of course, just played covers, but um, they did. They got the crowd involved, and uh, you know, it's a nice beer. They did like, a Cavern um club um you know point that um was really good actually um i kept just kept having that because you know you could go with the standard moretti and all that jazz but i thought you know what i'm gonna try their their lager went in, went in rome yeah, yeah. Pint <laughs> made of pint made of beetles um the third member of your tribe of course aj the kid the youngest of guns uh he spent his 
day off yesterday. We've been Paris. We've been Liverpool. He was in Luton. What a place for a Sunday. And what a place, AJ, for a car boot sale. How was it? Yeah, I was waiting for this just to be built up really nicely. Um, Paris, Liverpool, Luton car boot sale. Somewhere on the outskirts of Luton uh, that my girlfriend's family wanted to go to. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll take you up on that offer and come over to try and shift some football shirts and a few other things that my family were like, we need to get this out of the house right now. Um, which was long and tiring. It's a lot of standing. Um, Mark helpfully described it as the zombie apocalypse before I went, because I'd never done one of these before. I think mm -hmm. it was less of the zombie apocalypse than I expected, based on his reviews. Um, definitely is kind of a lot of... You have these kind of dry periods, and then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, that looks cool. And then they'll see someone else. Someone else will see them standing over there, and everyone else will suddenly start crowding over and it gets a little bit scary uh the highlight was when i had this kind of metal pot thing that ended up being an oil an oil pot uh and i didn't really know what it was i'd just been given it like, here sell it fine go um and someone asked what it was i was like oh yeah it's a teapot it's fine you know you just put your water in it and sell it so i sold that off for 50p get home and then find out it's actually used for like putting oil on salads and stuff like that so i'm really slightly concerned that someone's going to set the house on fire making a cup of tea with it now uh <laughs> i thought you were going to say that you got home and googled it and realized it yeah. was some rare antique worth hundreds of thousands of pounds that, that feels like an only fools and horses subplot that something like that but um thankfully no there's no antique that well at least i hope not i now might need to go and google it and just make sure but uh, i'm also slightly hopeful that we're not going to have any house fires or someone trying to make a cup of tea in it now which uh was they'll, never trace it back. they'll never trace it back to you aj don't worry about it <laughs> no not now that i've said it on a podcast uh, no one exactly will ever know. no one really listens to this anyway um friends we're all back together again it's tremendous before we kick off and talk about stoke we're all at portman road on saturday um stewie i need your ruling on this as, the, as a veteran leader of this group um, in the dressing room, as I say. I predicted before the season on, on my hot take that Ipswich Town would be top of the table at some point this season. They already are. The KO Army obviously have picked up on it, um, said I've already nailed it. Are you giving it to me? Um, I'll have to go back and check check the exact wording of the team. Maybe don't check the exact wording, because I think I might have said after five games. But Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling generous. I'm inclined to give it to you. Yes, that's three hot takes in a row come off, friends. Listen to this boy when it comes to hot takes. Don't listen to me about anything else, but hot takes start the season. I'll Fantastic. tell you what, between us, I've got, I had Caden Jackson down a surprise package. Yep. So that's a little step towards that, I would say. And um, Alex is is on fire with our prediction uh, league that we're, we're yet to launch. Um, but Ross, Ross uh, decided that we should all uh, start predicting scores mm. and goal scorers and um alex has got two two results on the nose is that right Absolutely. it's, it's two on. score lines that i've had back to back and i'm slightly gutted as mark mentioned on twitter that i i originally i i had a few thoughts about the first goal scorer going into the stoke game and i thought no i'm i'm gonna i i have a feeling i have this 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 feeling but i'm gonna play it safe i'm gonna stick with my george hurst pick I know he had a tough time against Sunderland, but he's the striker after all. He's the most likely. And then we went for our meal before the game. Uh, and I said, you know what? I've gone for Hurst, but I've had this really strong feeling about Luke Wolfenden. I think that the set pieces, I feel like it's going to be someone a little bit out of a little bit left field, a little bit out of the blue. 
I, I know that Stoke are a little bit hit and miss on their set pieces as well. Uh, Millwall really took advantage of that last season. I thought, oh, Luke Wolfenden was the other one I was really looking at, which means that had I've gone with my gut and not with my stupid brain, I would have been able to have had one fully correct scoreline and then another fully correct scoreline with a first goal scorer that was a centre-back, which I think probably would have put me in a fairly insurmountable lead, but I'll just have to settle for what I think might be. I, I don't know. Ross can confirm what the table looks like. But Your I'm, streets I'm ahead, mate. Your streets ahead. Early Good stuff. I think, I think you're on eight points uh, and the next best is on two. So you've got a healthy lead. Um yeah, cool. I think I'm second. I'll take that. But we'll talk about this a bit more as the season goes on, as it starts to hot up in that particular predictions table. Right then, friends, Stoke City it was at the weekend. Stu, you came back from, from Paris. You must have been delighted with what Tan had done since you've been away, winning at Sunderland and then winning in the Carabao Cup comfortably, which is not something we're used to. So you rock up a packed Portman Road, all there to see you. There's a game of football on as well. Um, and it has to be said, friends, that Tan were fantastic. I mean, in terms of a 2-0 win, I don't think you'll see a more dominant 2-0 win than that. Um, Watto, you're back on the show. Let's kick off with you. What are your observations from the uh, the victory on Saturday? Professional, accomplished, uh, fully deserved. There was only really that five, ten-minute spell after, after half-time where you felt they were under any, any real pressure, but... Um, yeah, fully, fully deserved 2-0 win. Um, and we hoped that the momentum of last season would be carried through to this one. And so is proving to be the case by all accounts. And from what I've seen from the Sunderland game, it was kind of hanging on for dear life towards the end. It was nice that that, that second goal came in the 81st minute and um, made that a little bit more comfortable. But um, yeah, how can you not like what was uh, what was on offer? It was tremendous. Um, I mean, for me, it was it was kind of the reverse. Certainly, the, the opening of the game of of the start at Sunderland. Alex went when Tam were under the cosh for like the first twenty minutes or so at Sunderland. It felt like they came out of the traps and just turned that around against Stoke. They they were all over Stoke, weren't they? Backed by the crowd, obviously. What was the the first kind of serious, well, first championship, I guess, experience like covering Town for you? Yeah, I think I picked up on the same thing. Really, when it felt like it was a flip of the Stoke game because. Mm. I didn't really feel that Stoke were making the same mistakes that Town did in the Ipswich game. Maybe there wasn't the same pressure, but it was just wave after wave after wave of attack. Every single time that Town got the ball, it was just immediately right beeline straight forward. It was not really a lot of the time in, in the championship. You can see quite a kind of a passive build up style teams that are a little bit more kind of thinking, right, OK, we need to open up the space slowly. We need to kind of very much stick to the game plan as well. I think Town are a team that can adapt to how uh, opponents set up within the game. Obviously, there are a few changes in that first half as well that Stoke made tactically with substitutions and, and switching positions and all that. And it just felt that they adapted constantly, but just maintained exactly what they wanted to do. And it was just, it just felt constant. That was the, the best way I could describe it in a similar way to the Sunderland one where they just pressed, won the ball back, went forward. Um, they exploited the space out wide really, really well. They just looked really confident is the best way I can put it, I think, because they didn't have that in, in the Sunderland game, which I think is understandable given the fact it was the first one. It's away from home at the Stadium of Light. Here, home atmosphere did a lot. And I just think 
they they had this feeling from the start that they could go and kill it quite quickly. I think maybe there was a little bit of a sense of disappointment as well that they couldn't have done it a little bit earlier because they had the chances really to have been two or three up at the break. Mm. Rossi, can I just say, boys, by the way, I had an insight into what it's like to maybe walk around Portman Road. Say if I was walking around Portman Road with Ed Sheeran, I think it would be roughly similar to wandering around with Rossi. So we went out into the fan zone pre-game. Um, to, I was... I was filming Ross, I was the cameraman, doing his intro and stuff. And the amount of people just going, Roscoe, Rossi, Roscoe, just like that, just walking around. Rossi's like, yeah. I said, do you know him? No, never met him before. Just uh, obviously just a fan. It's nice being you, isn't it, Rossi? Yeah, I'll give um, their fibers to those guys um, <laughs> for, uh, for that. Thanks, thanks for that. But no, yeah, it's, um, their KOA is massive. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for for listening and watching and all that. So yeah, it was uh yeah, it was great to be at Porn Road. Um what a doubt it was. Um, you know, fan zone buzzing, Porn Road buzzing. And uh but yeah, thanks for everyone for saying hello. Our, our behind the scenes videos coming out at lunchtime, Ross. The other the other thing I took away from Saturday was your mental capacity to take on challenges because we went for quite a hefty pasta lunch pre pre match as a team, um, which you devoured like a big old bowl of pasta. And then we got obviously into the media room. There was curry on offer, lamb curry. Um, and you said, oh, I'm kind of full, but it behooves me for the behind the scenes video to tackle this curry. And I'm going to tackle it, friends, with a hot chocolate on top. So you, <laughs> you took that that special combo and, and tucked in like a trooper. Yeah, you got to. You know, you got <laughs> a free food at the end of the day. It's free food. Um, I will admit, and I don't like wasting food. I didn't eat all the curry um, because I was stuffed. Um, but I wanted to taste it just to give my rating for it. And I um, mean, it was all right to be fair. It was pork after asking, is it is it chicken? Is it beef? And Patrick, good old Patrick, who um, serves us, he, uh, it's pork cross. It's pork I thought out. it was lamb. You said it was lamb. Oh, was it? Uh, <laughs> some sort of meat in it. Let's get it down yeah. here. <laughs> hey, it was lamb. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. you, you took it off. If you want to see Ross eat that uh, and then give his grading, that, well, that'll be on the behind-the-scenes video, which we're putting out, I think, at midday for subscribers only. Before we get to the game, boys, I just want to reflect, and, and the reason I'm talking to Ross is the kind of mood and, and the feel around Portman Road, again, to me, feels like it's taken a, a step up. You've got the new pitch. It Just walking around in, in the building beforehand, it's all it's all been redecorated, hasn't it, Rossi? Um, it's all kind of repainted and swishy and nice, and there's team pictures up and stuff. Um, for me, again, it felt like, and we know Ashton's a big driver of this, that everything feels like it's being upgraded and everything's smarter, everything's shinier almost. Yeah, we were greeted, weren't we, by like, you know, suited people opening doors for us. I was like, cheers, mate. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, but I think anything like, even when you're at home, when you do a little, you know, clean your room or whatever you know it just feels nice and refreshed doesn't it and liquor paint just helps doesn't it so uh yeah so um yeah props to the club for that i bet your room was an absolute disgrace when you were younger ross by the way but you never cleaned yeah. it. yeah or fun story quick story um during my yeah probably i wasn't a, i wasn't that dirty but i did actually have uh mouses that came in my room so uh I had to put traps down here oh dear just yeah, because I, I left food under my bed. Oh, you know? my yeah. God. Yeah. Also so... known as mice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stewie, let's talk about the Hi. game then. Yeah. Let's talk about the game as a whole. Uh, Town scored a very good goal through Luke Wolfenden. 
Uh, and then they had multiple chances to kill the game off. They came out. Stoke probably improved a little bit after the break. They've obviously been given a bollocking in the dressing room. And then uh, Town made some key switches. McKenna particularly highlighted one moment in the game where he thought the uh, momentum swung. And they killed it off with a goal at the end. And it all felt pretty comfortable. Yeah, I think um, Stoke's manager, Alex Neil, who um, got a bit of stick as a former Norwich <laughs> he did, yeah. Norwich boss, um, summed it up quite well after the game and said that it looked like one team that had been worked on and put together over the last 12 months versus a, a team that he's kind of just cobbled together in the last three weeks and felt, you know, their radio man was trying to kind of uh, be quite positive with his questions. Well, there's a few positives to take, a few individuals, and he shut that down quite quickly and was very magnanimous and full of praise for Ipswich. And no better team. I don't often come in here and say that um, we were the, the lesser side, but today I, I just have to hold my hands up and say Ipswich were better than us. Um, but he's right. They didn't help themselves, Stoke. You come to a packed Portman Road, 29,000 opening day, Sun's out, everyone's in the new kit, great atmosphere, raucous atmosphere building up to kickoff. Mm. The first thing you want to do as an away side is, is just kind of stamp on that and quieten it quieten it down. And, and instead, they they made a few uh, unforced errors. Wes Burns had a shot tipped over after, what, two minutes? It's, which had three corners in a row and, and that just livened that home crowd up, whipped them up even further. And, and the players really fed off of that and... Um, as you say, the pressure was really, really starting to build before that that deserved opener. Um, Sam Morsi didn't do anything that special with the free kick delivery, really. Mm. He just sort of drifted one fairly straight to the back post from from deep right. And um, yeah, Luke Wolfenden just just gets gets up above his man, towering header um, and set pieces. They're, they're vital, aren't they? You, you'd have, we saw it time and time again last season. And I think they're going to be massive in the championship when... There's such fine margins um, between the sides. I think set pieces can can make all the difference. Um, and uh, Stoke Stoke had to sort of shuffle their pack. It's it, you had to do the uh, the old thing of subbing subbing someone off in the first half, which is mm. never never great for a manager. But that shows you what Stoke had to do to get to grips with Ipswich at that stage. Mm. Yeah, the goal, uh, AJ. I was, I was sitting behind you. Uh, so I'm sitting kind of behind the, the boys on the press bench. We had Sean Luco actually in front of us, didn't we? Watching the game with the video analysis team. Goal goes in. This is AJ. Gives it a little fist pump. And then in one motion goes, when he realises who scored and what he's predicted pre-game, it's like this. Oh, no. And I was just pointing at him, just pointing at him like that, laughing. Because you literally said, literally about about two hours before, Luke Wolfen's going to score the first goal. I don't know why I said George Hurst. And so it came to pass, AJ. Um, uh-huh. Egg all yeah. over your face. Yeah, not my finest moment. It took, what was it, about less than 25 minutes into the second league game for me to have an absolute nightmare. So not too long hopefully not too many of those because that I was not, sh- I'm uh, not sure that qualifies a nightmare it's just <clears throat> it was it was quite bad I, I was just sat there thinking as well if you if it's an attacking player like oh I picked the wrong attacking player fair mm. enough but when you correctly pick the center back that scores the opening goal and yeah. then you choose someone else that's what really stings um I thought he jumped really well it was a fantastic goal when you look back at it as well I think he talked through it and it was kind of a, a strange one where I don't think he necessarily intended it to work the way it did because he spoke about 
the way that they practice set pieces. And then he said, well, Burgess ran behind me, which is not something that we usually do. So whether Burgess just wanted to randomly be a decoy and distract the Stoke back line, not too sure. But he, he just said, yeah, Burgess ran behind. And so I just thought, well, there's a space for me to head the ball now. And it's why when I think you look at it, it's such a simple header because it's a little bit strange that he's left unmarked. That's why, apparently, at least. Um, as well, the way to direct it, bottom corner, just bounces up and down and up, makes it impossible for the goalkeeper to get to it. It just felt it felt so simple, I think, is the best way to put it. We like to see lots of intricate town goals. We saw a couple at Sunderland. We saw probably the second one as well, the, the whole move there. This was just on your head, knock it in, simple. That's what you need in the championship. Towering. It, it feels like a lifetime ago that we were gently, the fans were sort of gently poking a bit of fun at Ipswich for being poor at set mm. pieces. In the early days of Kieran McKenna, it was, you know, we're going to score from a corner and just sort of <laughs> ironically pointing out how poor they were and how little chance they had of scoring. And and Kieran McKenna was faced questions about it at a fans forum around sort of Christmas time, I think, and said people are absolutely right to highlight it. It's borderline impossible to get out of this division with our record on set pieces. And he was ready with all the stats that, you, you know, something like, I can't remember what it was, 20% of goals have to come from set pieces. And, and sure enough, the, the second season rolls around and, and they're hitting those sort of numbers and hopefully they can they can keep hitting them. I always go back to Rossi. Do you remember um, at the start of last season, I think it was after the first game, we went into Portman Road to record something with uh, a guy. Was it, I can't remember his name. But it was Paul something Scott. to do with the... Sorry? Paul Scott, I think. Was it Paul Scott? I can't remember. Scott Paul. Scott Paul is what his name was. <laughs> About the um, the big screen. And we, to, yeah. uh, we were having a chat before we recorded. We went and sat in Kieran's office. And on the table in his office, there was a folder, wasn't there, which said set plays, which we weren't allowed to look at, obviously. But clearly from that, you know, from literally day one um, of last season, set plays is something that they've got a routine. They've got, you know, a, by the look of it, a lot of them drawn up and pocketed and remembered. Um, and they're certainly paying dividends now. Um, shall we hear from Luke Wolfenden, friends? We've got a, a video that just says Wolfie Audio. So it'll be exciting to see what he says. Um, he came in looking extremely laid back. He's got kind of a blonde mohawk, I would say. Uh, sort of haircut you couldn't get away with unless you're a professional footballer. Um, but it works on him. Let's hear from him now. You found that there is a difference out of possession as well because you're so used to kind of being this dominant team, having loads of the ball in League One. You found that with the step up here, you're having to change and adapt all the time. Yeah, I think that's something that we've probably worked on in pre-season. You know, we covered a lot of distance in pre-season in preparation that you know, we knew we controlled a lot of the ball and could see off a lot of attacks in League One quite easily, you know, two, three passes and we've got the ball back. But Whereas in the Championship, that's not the case because teams will want to look to have the ball and there's better players that can hurt you more. So you've got to be more switched on and, you know, helping your mates out. And I think the boys have shown that, you know, a lot in the first two games. We've uh, really run the hard yards for each other. Yeah, there's three games in six days. You've got three wins. How big a boost is that going into the next few months? Yeah, I think it's, it's obviously important to get off to a good start, but it's not to be all and end all. It's not like we've, we're have we sitting here now thinking we've cracked it, you know, we're on to the next is pretty much what the gaffer said, you know, and, and that's the way that the football club's been in the last however long gaffer's been here, you know, we don't get too high, we don't get too low, and everyone's just enjoying themselves at the minute. 
when I say mohawk, obviously, you saw that in the picture. It's, what he's got is he's got the classic business in the front, kind of normal-looking haircut, party in the back, because it goes into like a, a triangle tapered down the back of his neck. Anyway, the thing I want to point out there, when, it, when we're talking about working hard out of possession, is for me, Stu, it felt like visceral how hard Town were working in this game. And it, the same last week with Morsi and Luongo. The intensity and the effort they put in feels to me like it's taken a whole new step up. I think AJ spoke to Luongo after the Sunderland game, and he said that coming back for pre-season, they were, they were given stats, particularly like Burnley stats, saying this is what we need to do. This is how this is where we need to be if we're going to be competitive. Running stats. And good Lord, they have embraced that challenge because it was literally like dripping with intensity, the performance. Mm. Yeah, I think that's often overlooked with with the best teams yeah. in football. It's easy to sort of look at Man City and Liverpool when they were flying under Klopp and and others about the technically how good they are and style of football and the type of goals they score. But they put the work in as well and they work damn hard off the ball as well. And um, that's where the the intensity of the preseason that Ipswich have had comes into play with the, the double games and playing in the heat over in Austria and really working hard has, has got them sort of ready for this challenge. So um, you mentioned Morsi and Luongo. I think that's where this game was was won mm. for me. Those two in midfield were, were absolutely immense. I looked at Stokes' team, eight summer signings, but the two in midfield uh, were there last season. Josh Laurent, Ben Pearson, they are proper championship players. I was looking for a sort of a Sam, Sam Morsi, Ben Pearson head-to-head battle. Both of them have got a red card in them, as we've seen in the past. I think they've they've clashed before at previous clubs, but um, completely overrun by the Ipswich Town two in midfield. I thought Morsi and Luongo were, were completely immense in that game, uh, on and off the ball, and that's that's where they won this match. Yeah, Luongo, especially. I mean, Morsi was brilliant at Sunderland, but for me, Luongo was a standout on on Saturday. He was He was everywhere. Um, and I think McKenna said something after the game, didn't he, Stewie, about it being the two hardest games that he's had as a manager in terms of the step up and having yeah. to be hit that level every single week? Yeah, I think they're obviously aware that there's a level of expectation mm. on them, that there's a lot of outsiders tipping them to do to do well this season. Um, and they know that's probably now gone up a notch after winning the first two games. And um Kieran was quick to sort of say, we know how hard we've had to work to get these results in here. And we know we're going to have to improve further Mm. just to remain competitive in this division. You just know with Kieran McKenna, we can sit here and enjoy it and get carried away with it because we know, as we keep saying, like last year when we were, are they going to do it? I think we're pretty damn sure they are, you know, but you feel Mm. reluctant to kind of curse it almost. But I, I feel quite comfortable and talking about them in a positive way because you know in Kieran McKenna they've got a manager who's keeping everyone's feet on the floor always looking for areas of improvement no matter how well they've played we'll always go away and analyze it and there'll be little areas we can improve upon Hmm. Um, but the stats show that this division is going to be completely different to last year I mean Ipswich uh, have been second best in terms of possession in both games which surprised Hmm. me it didn't feel like that on Saturday but no Stoke came to Ipswich and had, I think Ipswich ended, a quick check of it, but um, I think Ipswich had 43% possession. Wow. Um, it didn't it, feel it like didn't, that at all. It didn't feel like that, but no. it shows you that um, they've had to sort of change the way they play. I think they've, they've worked on being a bit of a counter-attacking threat and um, 
like you say, the intensity of, of winning the ball back, but starting attacks quickly and um, getting mm. through the field quite quickly as well. Once they get it, um, they attacked with purpose. I thought for when Stoke had the ball, they didn't do a great, great deal with it. Whereas once Ipswich got it, they attacked with purpose. Yeah, I'd love to see this. Obviously, they have the stats with all these analysis and, and kind of um, stats people they've got at town. They must know how far players have run and what their top speed was and average heart rate and stuff. Because Morsey and Luongo, I reckon they must have run eight miles easily in this game. And neither of them look knackered. Do you know what I mean? Like running that, and it's it's not like slowly jogging, is it, in football? You're you go from standing still to pelting full pace and cutting back, changing position, obviously wearing football boots, they're not trainers. It's a serious output of energy. I just I would I would really like to see those stats. And they're not, I mean, in terms of fitness, they are so fit. This is my only concern now. I don't know if this is this is um fair, but those first two games, the intensity has been so high. The challenge is going to be keeping that intensity. And if there are injuries to the likes of Luongo and, and Morsi, how they're going to cope with that. And also the mental challenge of knowing, putting yourself in that position every week, sometimes twice a week, where you're going to have to bury yourself. Well, this is where the squad comes into it. And that's yeah. why McKenna's, I think we're going to talk about it in a minute, the impact yeah. of the subs is that you go out there and you completely empty yourself. And if that means you're done after 60, 70 minutes, then you've played your role and you, mm. you tap out for somebody else that can come on and, and keep up that same level of intensity because you've got someone like an athlete like Caden Jackson who can come on and, and hit those same sort of sprint levels, if if not better than for the last 20 minutes. And yeah, Morsi and Luongo in midfield, that's why you've signed Jack Taylor. That's why you've got Lee Evans waiting in reserve and others. So that's where the squad will come into it um, over the course of the season, both in terms of rotation, but substitutions as well. Yeah, let's talk about them then. Should you set us up? Um, so Rossi... Stoke had come out after half-time. They'd uh, had a little bit of success. And then McKenna goes to the bench, shuffles the pack. And coming off the bench, Marcus Harness, maybe not a surprise, coming on for Nathan Broadhead. We know McKenna really likes Harness and he's been great in pre-season. I thought he was really strong in this game as well. But definitely a surprise, Caden Jackson coming on for George Hurst and going up top. We used to Jackson playing out wide and obviously Fred Liadapo being the backup striker. What did you think when that happened? And, and uh, in terms of... Terry Hunt's actually written this morning about he he mentally groaned when Jackson mm. came on. Obviously, McKenna's played the right cards again, though. Yeah, masterclass from McKenna. Um, you know, yeah, a lot of people say he divides opinion, doesn't he, Caden Jackson? He does. Because um, he's once again, he's part of that team that got relegated. You know, I know that was his first season at the club, but he's part of that team that got relegated. And since then, I think fans have gone, oh, is he still here? Um, but after every manager, of course, he was bombed out, was it? Lambert bombed him out, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, was the, he was on the naughty step for a while, wasn't he? Him, with, him um, John Nolan. Yeah. John Nolan, yeah. 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 But um, but he's still here. And McKenna is, wow, is, he, he likes him, doesn't he? He really does like him. I would love him, actually. Um, I, I will admit, I was surprised a little bit. Um, but as we already said, it was a masterclass from McKenna because it Stoke couldn't handle Kane Jackson because the pace, great finish. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think fans, yeah, a lot, a lot of people who are not Kane Jackson fans probably were going afterwards. You know what? Kane Jackson just won us this game. Yeah, I know we're already 1 0 up, but I think if you know we didn't score that second goal, and I think that's a, the problem we've had in, in previous years, maybe we haven't killed off games. Yeah, and I think we needed to kill off the game. And um, Kane Jackson, fair play to him. I love his celebration, always does the I think the A, I think that's his um, young boy. 
Um, but he must have loved that, the score in the championship after last time he played here, got relegated with Town. Um, and yeah, good finish. Yeah, watching AJ, that was my fear. Town had had so many chances. They were only 1-0 up and we knew there was probably going to be about 180 minutes of the game. Um, and I thought it's going to come back to bite them. It's the championship, the intensity and stuff. But no, they got the uh, the kind of game-sealing second goal. And in hindsight, it's clear to see why McKenna brought Jackson on because his pace was perfectly placed for exploit gaps, as he said afterwards, in terms of uh, a tiring Stoke side. Yeah, I think that there were definite shades of it heading towards a Sunderland situation where Town mm. had to go into the last maybe 15 or so minutes. I mean, they did at that point, but, you know, especially going into stoppage time, we saw an extra half of extra time being played at the Stadium of Light pretty much. So having to do that, you know, there was always the prospect of that happening in the Stoke game. It didn't in the end, but but there was definitely on the cards, I would have said. And there were also concerns that it could have gone the same way where, I mean, Hladsky really had to uh, save Towns Bacon a little bit with that one. And that's not what you want, especially on the first home game. Seeing it out nice and comfortably like they did was so important. I think also just from the perspective of the fans watching, just to have that comfortable win on the first game against an established team at this level as well. Mm. Um, I, like most people, was surprised to see Caden Jackson come on because I think that the, the logical answer, of course, and at least in everyone's heads, was, oh, well, you bring Freddie on, he can hold up the ball, he's, he's quite powerful and strong. He might not necessarily have his finishing boots on as, as much, but he's still someone that has core attributes that can help. McKenna sees the, light, the, the game in a different light, which is get the ball up the pitch and we can score another goal here. If we have a forward who can open those spaces, then there's no reason why we can't go and kill it. It's not, I think it was very much a case of, do we hold on for the 1-0 lead with someone like Ladapo and, and try and slow the game down a little bit? Or do we just say, right, come on, let's just finish this off. You could see from how that second move worked, the way that they just exploited the gaps, start to finish goalkeeper up to the forward line just played through almost everyone it was absolutely fantastic and that was that was really a sign of the mentality sorry i'm just getting rid of a wasp here as well um that it, it, of how town want to take on these games because it's not about always having to sit back especially at home they want to try and kill the games off and jackson's the perfect kind of sub to do that he's got the pace and the power you saw within the first kind of 90 seconds of him being on the pitch he created the chance and that was Maybe that was something that already raised a few eyebrows. Wow, he's already come on and he's he's showing that he, he's got the attributes to be the perfect impact sub. And I think that will probably be what earns him a, a place in this squad, especially because McKenna very much respects that. And uh, I think he's a big favourite. I, I would argue it's it's as much a defensive change as it is an attacking one. Yes, he gives you that pace on the counter-attack as well. Mm. But I think... The primary reason he brought on was his ability to press centre-halves. And McKenna talked about it, that Wilmot, their centre-half, was starting to get more and more time on the ball to kind of start attacks from the back. Well, if you The best form of defence is, is attack. And if you can stop those attacks building from source, which Caden's unbelievable work rate at using that pace and channeling it to, to charge people down and getting their faces just just snuffed out their threat at source. They just couldn't couldn't get anything going. So, um, yes, I think primarily his role will be an impact substitute, but I think there'll be times where he'll come up with a bespoke game plan and he'll look at it perhaps for away games and go, 
you know, that pace, even, even through the middle, might be something that's required. We saw it a lot of times last season that Ipswich went to places like uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth off the top of my head and, and Caden was selected from the start and played through the middle in those sort of games. So um, it's about having different attributes. You always get the feeling that Kieran McKenna kind of bulks a little bit when you talk about first choice and backups and sort of labelling players like that. I think he, he just likes to have different different options, different attributes, players that have got, you know, special abilities almost that you can kind of call upon for different scenarios. As an aside, as AJ tries to uh, evade a wasp, you know, wasps can remember faces. You know, often wasps, you feel like wasps follow you around. That's because wasps can remember faces, friends. Anyway, back to the football. Um, should, we hear from, should we hear from uh, Kieran McKenna about the importance of substitutions? Check out that segue. Where else are you going to get that? Look, we've, we've spoken about it as a squad and the players are pretty well versed for it because the use of substitutes and having a, a big squad was, was really a big part of getting us to this point and it'll be a, a big part of any success that we, we may have this year. Um, and I think every every win that we earn is, is going to be earned off the bench this season, to be honest. I don't think we're we're, we're not going to be, you know, three or four nil ahead too often. Hopefully we won't be three or four nil down. So the games are going to come down to um, the impact of the substitutes a lot of weeks. So... Today was a was a great example of that, and we were tiring at that stage, and and we definitely needed fresh legs, and um, yeah, the the role that we needed at that point was you know we needed to get big pressure to Wilmot because um, George had done a really good job in it, but he was tired, and there was lots of space in the counter attack to run into space, and there's probably not many better strikers in the league than Caden in that scenario, to be honest, and he showed that when he came on, and I thought Marcus. You know, did again what he does for the team, give great energy, great discipline tactically, um, fantastic on second balls, fantastic energy, got us up the pitch and um, had a really good part in it. And of course, we were able to, to get Omari and, and Jack on for their first league minutes at Portman Road as well. So, yeah, look, it's going to take um, different substitutions every week, maybe to get a goal or to defend the lead or whatever the scenario requires. And um the players all understand that and they're all uh, bought into the fact that it's um, the strength of the squad that will um, help us this season. I love that line from McKenna. Every win we earn this season will be earned off the bench. It's not just an 11-man game. It's a 15-16 man game. AJ, you now wasp-free? I saw you get up and... I don't know if I'm wasp-free, but the you're not allergic open, to what You're so... not allergic to wasp things, are you? No, I'm not allergic. They are I hate them. It's been a childhood phobia of mine that I absolutely despise those things. So. Let's be honest, mate. Wasps are wankers. Bees, tremendous. Wasps. I can handle bees. I didn't wasps use, have I no didn't purpose. To, but wasps are a slightly different story. So hopefully with the window open, he will now get out of this house. He won't because he knows your face now. He's after you. No, oh, he's over there. Oh, <laughs> this is a nightmare. Pod excellent. This is this is why people subscribe. Is to Stay see tuned, friends, to see if through. Alex will get stung live on the show. Rossi, you're talking about subs. Um, and I, I, Obviously, KJ gets the headlines because he scored the goal. But I, I was really, really, really impressed with Marcus Harness when he came on. He obviously played a part in the, in the, uh, the match ceiling goal as well. And he's a bit of a Marmite player. A lot of people don't really seem to, to take to Harness. But I thought he was really good when he came on. Yeah, he's... Um... Once again, like last year, he was sort of maybe the unsung hero because he made mm. he played a lot of games, didn't he? Last season, you know, pretty much every game, yeah. yeah, pretty much. So he's one of those players. That I think he just okay, yeah, he does. He has a few mistakes in him, and he some sloppy passes here and there. But I think overall, he's a player that just he can run, he can run for days as well. He's another player who is just happy to just put in the miles. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he came on and he made a difference as well. So 
and that is once again it shows in League One it was uh, it was laughable really, weren't it? The, the riches we had coming off the bench. Championship is going to be a bit different, but we've still got that riches of you know substitutions. We're bringing on Marcus Harness and Co. And as you said, he's probably divided by the fan base. I think there's a few comments saying, "Yep, yeah, when we get promoted, he's one to get shipped out," but he's the mm. one who's in front of Card Edwards, which I'm sure we'll get onto shortly. Um, but yeah, yeah, I thought he did all right as well. Siri, since you um, departed, we uh, had the news of Christian Walton um, injury, which means obviously Hadley is now the number one for the foreseeable future. What, what did you make of him on Saturday? Because he, he at Sunderland, he had a nervy start and then obviously he made that brilliant save at the end to preserve the points. Um, and a lot of fans saying in terms of the way Town play, he's actually better with the ball at his feet than than Walton. What, what do you make of, of that kind of replacement and, and where do you see their respective strengths? He's undoubtedly better with his feet than Christian Walton. I think that's an area that, that Christian has got better with during his time at the club, but I wouldn't say it's his forte. Um, Kieran McKenna last season, I think after the two Burnley games, talked about him being one of the best goalkeepers in the game with the ball at his feet, and that suits the way Ipswich want to, to play out of the back. And I thought it really helped during a, a vital period during that game at the start of the second half when Ipswich were under the cosh. He didn't panic and he was happy to a couple of times that he just put his foot on the ball. He actually sort of rolled it back under his studs two or three times and just Mm. assessed the situation. And the crowd can get a little bit edgy sometimes and nervy with things like that. But um, then he just rolled a 5, 10, 15-yard pass into somebody and then he's comfortable taking it back. And that's where the the second goal obviously originates from is is a pass a pass from the goalkeeper um, and there was that little the situation that, that McKenna kind of highlighted where they were penned in for a spell and then um, Hackey sort of rolled the ball into Sam Morsey's feet who was confident in himself to shield the ball and um, under pressure and let it roll across him and, and Ipswich played through the thirds and, and started to get win a bit of territory as well so um, I've been impressed with with Vaz so far he's ne- it, I know he didn't have the best of starts to Ipswich, but I felt for mm. him really, especially as a goalkeeper. When you're coming into a team with a with a whole new side in front of you, you've got no kind of relationship with your centre halves. So it was a bit of a transitional period. He was on a bit of a hiding to nothing, really, trying to sort of step up a level and and show his best in in that situation. And then last year, when he came into a far more settled side, he never he never let them down at all. And 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 on top of the sort of ball at his feet stuff that we've talked about. He's come up with some good saves as well. He A big one at the end against Sunderland and he had a big one just before half-time when he mm. when he kept the ball out from Daniel Johnson as well. So um, I think he'll be very pleased with uh, with himself after these these opening couple of games. AJ, you got to meet Vaz last, uh, last week at the presser. Peek behind the curtain time. You said he's a, a lovely bloke with a very strong handshake. I feel like this is the thing with goalkeepers is that when they give you a handshake, and especially for me, it's like about three times the size of my hand. It's like, oh, okay. I like how um, he went up to, I think there was only a few of us at this press conference, he went up to all of us and he, he, looked, he shakes our hand and he looks at us in the eyes and goes, that glove to every single one. And I thought, unique, definitely. Yeah. Really nice guy. Um, I think as well, you know, very strong when it comes to speaking English. I think that obviously he's been in the game for a long time, but as well, it's not always the easiest thing to do when you're a player that has come from abroad at any point. Mm. And very kind of modest about how he's approaching this situation as well when it comes to 
looking at Walton with his injury. You know, obviously it's a good opportunity for him. He's spoken about wanting to be a first choice, but he also understands how difficult it is for Christian Walton at this moment, knowing how long that he could be out for at such an exciting time. And there was a lot about him wanting to be a number one, but this is also the club that he wants to be at. It's kind of, I think, a very difficult situation for him, as it is for a lot of second choice goalkeepers, where you always have to be on your toes, you always have to be ready to kind of jump in. But the odds of that happening, unless it's a cup game where the manager rotates, is so slim. So I can kind of appreciate how difficult it is for him. I think people also need to realise as good as he has been to step in, he deserves extra credit for the fact that it is so hard for, for second-choice goalkeepers. You're, you're training week in, week out with no real match experience, aside from, yes, OK, he's played a bit through pre-season. He got a few minutes in the Exeter game. I think before that, his last um, competitive game would have been Burnley, off the top of my head, from what I saw. That's yeah. a long time to go without a competitive game. Uh, technically... Sorry oh. to interrupt. Technically, he came on for the Exeter game. Yeah, I did say. Yeah, he oh, came he on for the, yeah. Oh, he came funny. on for the the last kind of seven or so minutes in the Exeter game. So aside I, from that, I think you'll find, says Ross. I think you'll find he played five minutes against Exeter. <sighs> yes, yes, he did play five <laughs> minutes against Exeter. Um, but his last, okay, his last <clears throat> competitive start, yeah, would have been Correct. the the Burnley, the Burnley game. And it is hard, I think, for someone who just goes months and months without playing in these match situations to come in, especially, for example, the Sunderland one, where he's under immense amount of pressure. He's got to play out from the back because it's what he likes to do. And you've already stepped up a league and you're playing against teams and players that are going to press their life out of you. Mm. So I think he deserves a huge amount of credit for coming in and doing such a good job because he, he just, as the backup goalkeeper, it really does feel like a, a big test to be thrown in like that. At that moment at the end of the first half as well, where he raced off his line and cleared the ball about 40 yards out from his mm. goal. And you th thought, I don't know if I could picture Christian Walton charging, having the turn of pace. And, you know, with the losing Christian is a blow. There's no doubt about it. He was looking like a real central piece to the team down the spine of the side. I'm not suddenly knocking Christian in any way, shape or form. But, um, yeah, Vass has got some different qualities that, that may may end up helping the, the team in different ways, hopefully. And it just shows you, like I said before, like play I think in certainly in fans' minds, those first 10, 20 games in an Ipswich in, in any team shirt kind mm. of sets the tone for how players are, are seen. And going back to Caden Jackson, you come in, you're part of a relegated side and all of a sudden that sort of sticks for quite a while. It takes quite a long time then to sort of change that initial opinion of people. But we shouldn't be remembering Caden Jackson from the relegation season or the first few years in League One. He's a different beast under Kieran McKenna now. And I loved his interview last year where he talked about, I just needed a manager that told me what I'm good at and not mm. what I'm not good at. And yeah, there's there's some technical deficiencies with Caden, which I think he's improved upon, but he's got some attributes that are that are top top level and Kieran's just gone do you know what you're quick you work really hard he can cross the ball on the run um let's focus on that and trying to sort of integrate that into the team so I'm really pleased for, for Caden and, and you, you uh, Kieran used sort of the word journeys with some of these players you look at Caden Janoy Danassian who's been been here for quite a while now um Cameron Burgess, who's had a quite mm -hmm. a, quite a turnaround when we look back to the Barrow game that we always 
reference. You look at that team, Kladke as well. Um, a few of those have been on quite a journey to get to this point, to be sort of starting players in a team that started a championship season really well. Well, even someone like Wolfie, I mean, he was asked after the game on uh, on Saturday about how close he came to leaving the club. And he, his, his, his answer was, under Lambert or under Cook. Like, so there were a couple of times he was he was almost out the door. Um, and as you say to you, there have been some tremendous, tremendous turnarounds since McKenna's come in. And also, as an aside to you, I'd just like to say, you're really good at writing. That's That's your strength. Thank you. <laughs> right then, friends, there's one more thing to talk about from this game. Main thing. And I know Alex wants to talk about this. So let's hear from McKenna first about it. The referee. I'll talk to you about the referee. Don't want to put you in trouble yeah, here. But um, two of your players booked for, for time wasting. Yeah. Um, that's three in the opening two games. A high foul count for them. But um, the card stayed in, in the pocket. What, what did you make of the, the referee in that game? Um, first of all, jo- I think it's Josh is the referee's name. I think he's got a really good manner about him. He, he was the one who came to our training ground to explain the new rules. And I think he's got a really good manner and the potential to, to do really well. Um, so I think it's probably more about the guidelines in some instances. I think that the time wasting guidelines are, you know, it's it's obviously gone way too extreme. I think anyone can, you know, who has any any ambulance of common sense can see that in the time that was added on last week in the game today. It's, you know, it's it's football. It's not basketball. It's not on a clock. If the players are working really hard in hot conditions and are tired, you know they can't necessarily take a goal kick in, in eight seconds. We want them to assess the picture, be able to assess where the pressure's coming from, have a look at the pitch and set up a move. And I think this week and last week, it's, you know, of course, there's a big effort to stamp out time-wasting, but I don't think any of those instances were time-wasting. Um, and, um, yeah, I think if you if you had the clock, you'd, you'd see that the, the opposition set players were probably taking just as long. So... Um, it is what it is. I know everyone's got the same feelings at the moment. I'm sure it will will die down, um, but we can't get the yellow cards back, and that's now players on a yellow card, um, and yellow cards last week that you know add up and contribute. So I'm sure they'll they'll address the balance of it because at the moment the balance of it isn't right. Um, I'm sure that'll be addressed, um, and uh, hopefully sooner rather than than later. Okay, yeah, so some interesting decisions in this game. Sitting next to me, Phil Hamm was brandishing imaginary cards um, at decisions. <laughs> he'd he'd uh, get booked for that in these would. days. Yeah. He would, yeah. Uh, and Alex, you said beforehand uh, about the ref, Josh Smith. Now, bear in mind, this is uh, technically being published um, across multiple platforms, so don't get me fired and yourself sued. Um, what do you want to say? Um, not a referee I've been a fan of in the past. And I know that this has been a running theme from his days in League One. Uh, he's done a couple of Cambridge games when I was covering them, one of which was a nil-nil draw against Portsmouth on a, a Monday night around Christmas back in Cambridge's first season in the third tier in the best part of 20 years. And it, he just lost control. He lost all control of it. Um, there were weird stoppages, strange decisions, and... It was one of those where you look back at it, and it's always been a game that I've remembered as the most baffling refereeing performance I've ever seen. And ever since then, I've, he's refed other Cambridge games. He's been involved in TV games. It was very confusing to me that he then got promoted to the second tier of refereeing, where I think that it's kind of been picked up on again. Whether that's kind of a harsh 
assessment or not, because obviously I've not seen every game he's refereed and, and McKenna definitely, I think, has taken a shine to him. I think that there's two sides to it. I've obviously seen that maybe there are a lot of frustrations surrounding him uh, from that Cambridge-Portsmouth game. It came from both sides because with all the stoppages that were going on, with the way that he approached the game, it, it just seemed very, very strange. And there were definitely some similarities in this one as well, in the sense that the the cards, the way they looked at fouls, it was all a little bit peculiar. Uh, I think we had a look at the count on the fouls by the first kind of 25 minutes, I think by the, the Morsey free kick for the goal, I think Stoke had committed nine fouls. Ender Stevens had done about half of those. Um, it was just really, really strange that he was able to walk away without a single card. He just come in, have a chat. Yep, fine, just don't do it again. Does it twice again. No, not going to book him. It was really, really strange to see that. At the same time, there is also the application of the rules. And as McKenna has touched on, that's something that needs addressing. I think that obviously it seems that they're kind of going down the route of it being one extreme or the other. All these issues that we had last season were definitely, you know, they, they played a part in terms of the time wasting that, that wasn't really addressed in terms of um, yellow cards, in terms of, for example, shirt pulling as well was a really prominent bit that went towards it. But now it seems that we've gone too far over to the other side of the spectrum and there needs to be kind of a, a happy middle found. But this is not it at all. And it's the same with the out of time. It's the same with the time-wasting approach. Uh, the ball in play time, we all know, is important. We all want to see more football. And we've touched on that one, I think, in last week's pod. But, you know, it's when it's one extreme or the other, it, there needs to be a middle ground somewhere along the line. Yeah, I think they're still grappling with that, aren't they? As they do at the start of every season, there's always this kind of uh, period where they're trying to find the, uh, as you say, the right the right approach. They had to, to do something about it, didn't they? I mean, you go back to some yeah, of those absolutely. games in League One last year, Cheltenham springs to mind, but there was some real cynical gamesmanship from teams that were looking to to run down the clock. And, and gamesmanship is part of the game um, and people will always try and sort of push the envelope and as far as they can with, with stuff. I get that, but it, w it was getting too silly and something needed to be done about it. I think there was various studies into the kind of the ball, the ball in play time. And it was like less than 45 minutes. You were essentially getting less than half a game in terms of when the ball was in play. So something had to be done. And I get that sometimes you have to maybe be extreme at the start to kind of stamp it out and, and put that in people's minds. But those two bookings, for time wasting for Hagke and and Janoy Danassian overtaking free kicks. I mean, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? They didn't take any longer than any normal normal set piece, and I, I think the fans were pointing that out every time Stoke had a throw in that they took longer than about three seconds to take. They were sort of calling for for a yellow card, so sort of pointing that out to the referee. So that that was slightly ridiculous and then and then you had the other side of the coin which was the their foul count and and as alex points out i think ender stevens fouled burns three times before the first half normally that that sort of tots up and um sees you get booked that didn't happen i thought they they had three or four yellow card worthy fouls um daniel johnson fairly cynically sort of pulled pulled connor chaplin back on halfway as as ipswich looked to counter at some point and for me, that's why that sort of little 10-minute period, probably from about Ipswich, had just sort of played played their way through 
the storm of the first 10 minutes of the second half. And it was the 10 minutes after that, from 55 through to about 65, that was probably my favourite part of the game in terms of game management, where all those incidences were happening and the crowd were getting whipped up and annoyed. And Ipswich players could have really lost their heads, a sense of injustice there. And this is where they're a nice reflection of their manager. They were calm, they were composed, they kept kept playing. They didn't get drawn into any controversies there. And um, and obviously then the subs came and uh, they got their rewards. Absolutely. Right then, boys, we're coming up to 55 minutes. I'm going to wrap this up. I've got a few more things to talk about. Any other notes from the old game? I, I've got one more note and I'll, I'll put it as a hot take. I think Connor Chaplin is going to catch fire at some point because he's still getting that, that space in the box, isn't he? He's still managing to peel off and find that pocket of space, which he's got this kind of otherworldly ability to do. And he hasn't quite got his shooting boots on yet. A couple of them were blocked at the weekend. But I think once he gets going, once he gets that first goal, we might see him go on a real tear. So that would be my other takeaway from the game. Anything else you want to mention, boys, before we move on to other stuff? Broadhead looked in the mood, didn't he, first half? He sort of, it's class. Um, Absolute class. Tired a little bit. And it's understandable <clears throat> that he came off, had a couple of injury niggles in, in pre-season. And I think he sort of emptied the tank a little bit come mm. midway through that second half. But uh, in those first, in that first half an hour, everything he did had a little touch of class about it, didn't he? His first touch, he was, and his work rate as well, which he's, I don't think he's, was known for coming to Ipswich. But I think that's something McKenna's worked on him with that you need to, you need to do the off off the ball stuff as well, which he did. But um, him and Davis down that left side are such a such a dangerous combo. I think that led to the Stoke change because Broadhead sort of tucks inside and then that, that opens up the space for Davis to bomb into. And I was watching that little battle between him and Chiquinho in the first half. It was that cat and mouse game of he, he wanted to be quite high right for Stoke. And then uh, I was thinking to Davis, just test him and start dragging him back towards his own goal a little bit. And he didn't want to go back with him. And Davis, I think, in the end, just started to um, to gamble more and more. There was a, there was one where he burst forwards and the shot wasn't great at the end of it. He lashed it over. But I think that was the moment that Alex Neil went, yeah, you know, I need to change that. And, and off he came. And he and switched things over, little... didn't he? Vidigal went over. He'd been yeah. their kind of star from the first two games of the season. Switched wings. So Neil forced him to into changes by what Tan were doing. Any, anything else for anything else? I want to talk about Carl Edwards. Should we talk about yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I was going to say is I think yep. those the two midfielders, if they can stay fit throughout the, the next 44 league games, are going to win town. I mean, we touched on it already. They're going to win town a hell of a lot of games because they are just... It's the chemistry for me. I know that Jack Taylor's kind of the new fun signing that's come in, and I think he's going to have a, a real tough battle to get in because... Luongo and Morsi are the two. They've just got the chemistry. They, they work so well together. They they really understand each other. And I think they've got such a good balance in midfield. And the other one I just want to quickly touch on, Leif Davis. I think he must have covered every single patch of grass down that left flank. I have no idea how he has that much energy to go up, down, up, down, up, down. Really fantastic performance. If he can maintain his energy levels as the Duracell bunny of this team throughout the next few games, be one of the best players in this team, if not the best. I think that that's the season as a whole for me, maintaining that intensity. It's it's all very well and good doing it in the first couple of games when it's, you know, the big games, first championship games, but then it's maintaining it across the whole season. Because as I say, well, you know what it's like. You, you, every week or twice a week, you have to put yourself, knowing that you walk onto that pitch, knowing you're going to bury yourself. That mentally is a big thing to do. Uh, and to do it over 46 games is incredibly tough. But 
Um, you feel certainly with McKenna and definitely Morsey as a leader that if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be town. Right then, Stewie, Carl mm-hmm. Edwards, um, AJ quiz McKenna about it before the game on Friday. We didn't see him in the Carabao Cup, which was unusual given uh, he made the bench ahead of him. And it turns out he's off. A player that was the, one of the kind of stars uh, post-demolition man when he came in. Everyone was going, bloody hell, have we got him in League One? Um, obviously been in and out of the side, never really got a foothold. And it, it sounds like now he's going to be departing because he wants to go somewhere and play. Yeah, um, slightly disappointed, but not overly disappro- uh, overly surprised is probably my, my summary of that one. As soon as you saw he wasn't in the squad list for the Bristol Rovers game, you knew the writing was on the wall. Martin Pert did the classic kind of assistant manager swerve on that one. Oh, you need to probably speak to the manager about that. He's been training with the rest of the lads. It was pretty clear he's... He's on his way. I think they'd have probably been quite happy to keep him around. And, and we've been talking about the importance of, of the squad and everyone having a role to play and people having their own special skill set. Well, Kyle Edwards is probably the best dribbler at the club. And I think there are occasions last year where he came on and, and changed games. Cambridge springs to mind away. There are other matches as well. And I, I just got the sense that Kyle was just starting to find some levels of consistency as well. Um, the knock against him is is not his ability, but his his, his ability to produce it week in week out. Um, and I felt like he was starting to take steps towards that. But with Nathan Broadhead in in the building, the the door is is pretty well shut to to his place in the side and Burns as well. And now Amari Hutchinson coming in, so it sounds like it's been a fairly amicable conversation between manager and player to say, look, we understand you're at a, an age and a stage in your career where you want to be kicking on and, and playing regularly. So um, whether that look what that looks like in terms of an exit, a permanent or a loan, we shall we shall see. Uh, Rossi, you've, you've been quiet for a while. Carl Edwards, he's he's, he's one of these players. That is there always seems to be these players, aren't there, on the fringes who are fan favourites? And I've always thought about him as a, like an X factor, does something, offers something that no one else really does at town. Um, what do you make of the, the news that he's going to be departing? Yeah, just like Stu, really, you know, disappointed, but not surprised. Um, yeah, I remember him, of course, he made his debut, didn't he, at Burton away in that um, first season under Paul Cook. And, you know, he, he, he scored absolutely, he scored in a weldy, you know, hit the crossbar. Um, and we thought, hello, here we go. You know, and of course, we're all excited, as you mentioned in the intro to that um, Card Edwards chat. Um, we were thinking about how we got him to come to League One, which, you know, it became a trend anyway, because we got yeah. Sam Morsey and Connor Chaplin and co. But, uh yeah, he's a player that once again I think he divides fans as well because I think some fans really love him because of his you know he's he's skillful and he and he's a good character. But some people get frustrated because he's not consistent enough, and that is probably one of his downfalls. And maybe that's one thing McKenna's probably looked at when you know he's a good player, but is he someone I can rely on in those big games, needing to come off the bench and stuff? And fair play to him because he could just stay here and just you know sit in the you know, on the bench and, you know, wait for his chance. But he wants to play football and, you know, I think a club are going to get lucky to have him. So, yeah, best of luck to him. Mm. Right. There's one more thing I want to talk about this week. We didn't talk about it last week because I wanted to wait until um, Stu returned, given that he covered his pretty much his entire town career. And that, of course, friends, is the news that Luke Chambers has retired, uh, which which came out just before the season started. Uh, we've done... He, he put out a very long and, and kind of fulsome... Um, bit on Instagram about his career and how much it meant to him and also the pressures of being captain and how that kind of wore on him and stuff. 
Um, but Stuart, as I say, you covered his entire town career. How would you remember Luke Chambers as, a, as an Ipswich Town player, as a captain? Uh, as a man who gave everything to to the football club during his time. I know he splits opinion. I know, unfortunately, he's both him and Cole Scoose, in a way, have become kind of synonymous with the, the club's kind of drawn out death by a thousand cuts decline. And, and I always felt that was kind of harsh and unfair on both of them, really, that, that the problems of the club stemmed from the top. Um, and I, it didn't help their cause, but they gave everything during that period. It's easy to forget about the good stuff that happened in the early days under Mick McCarthy coming in, um, helping the, the club stay up, helping the club get into the playoffs. Um, we're part of a team that finished... We're talking about where Ipswich could finish this season. Not only did Ipswich finish sixth, they also finished seventh the following season. I think they finished ninth the season before. Um, and we're now talking about whether Ipswich can get back to those those levels again. So it's easy to forget about that early part of their careers. Um, and as he says, he took on, I think, probably too much as his role of captain, probably to his own detriment at times. Um, someone that was going above and beyond trying to sort little things, just like making sure new signings were settled and um, making sure that all the all the family and friends tickets were being distributed to people, just all that sort of stuff, having young players living in his annex, stuff like that, um, just just gave everything on and off the pitch to, to the football club, played through, you know, the number of games he played, he played through some really horrific injuries, you know, there was that time that Bart smashed into him in a game and he... You know, he said he thought he was going to die on the pitch and he had broken ribs and all that sort of stuff. And yet he was still sort of playing and, you know, had a really bad foot injury at one point and still managed to play against Norwich with blood seeping out of his foot, sort of heavily bandaged up and things like that. Um, he gave everything. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. You know, he played out of position for most of his time for the club as well. You, you know, kind of... he's frustrated at times that he was having to kind of fill in at right back, but I thought he got better and better in that role over time. So I think now we're seeing with the, some of the reaction to his retirement that with a bit of space and a bit of distance and the club being in a bit of a better place that people have maybe softened on Luke Chambers and started to realise what, what he brought during a really difficult period. And um, who knows, maybe we'll see him sort of come back in some sort of ambassadorial role or popping up on town TV or something like that over, over the coming months. And um, I'd welcome that. I think he, he should, uh, he should be welcome back at the club anytime. I was going to ask you, Stu, what do you think about next step for Luke? Because obviously Cole Skews now is um, managing over at Berry Town. I think he has talked before about potentially going into management. Can you see him making that step? Can you, <laughs> can you see him and Cole teaming up at, as managers? I think they'd work well together because they're a bit yin and yang. As, as, yeah. as best friends, they sort of talk about how they're very different. Cole is very sort of calm and dry. Um Whereas Luke is sort of a bundle of energy and 100 miles an hour and um, I think he'd be hot on the sleeve. So I think the two of them might even themselves out a little bit uh, if they did end up working together at some point. I I thought uh, Luke would try and play on this year because I think those um, football league records that he's in the top 10 appearance makers, he might want to just nudge himself up that list a little bit more. But um, that's not happened. It's just... It's, it's just a shame how it finished for Luke mm. Ipswich as well. Didn't quite get to those 400 appearances. I thought that the whole exit was, wasn't handled particularly well by Paul Cook. He could have got, could have helped nudge him towards that 400. And um, 
and it's a shame obviously it ended with with no fans in the in the crowd as well behind closed doors football i thought him and him and cole deserved a better send off than that but um yeah, I'm not sure what will be next for him. I'm sure he'll. I think he'll probably have all various different. I'm sure he'll have a go at everything. Luke, he might. Who knows? I think he's doing bits on sort of uh, clothing lines and things like that on the side. You know, you never know with Luke. I'm. I'm intrigued to see what what what's next for him. Always be a model, good looking lad, isn't he? Um, it'd be nice to see maybe Town get him back as a guest at a game and give him a kind of tour of the pitch, get a round of applause, all that sort of stuff, which he was denied clearly by COVID uh, when he did actually play his, his final game. Right then, boys, we've done almost uh, 70 minutes now, so we have had some more time added on. Anything else to mention before we, uh, we take our leave? Any other business from any of you? Put your hand up if you wish to speak. Go on, Ross. Do you need the toilet? Yes, please, sir. <laughs> Can I have some more? Um, I just thought um, we're doing a regular feature now because we've got players out on loan. I thought I'd just do a little loan watch hey, good chat, pod yeah. um, chat because uh, Gas and I had me. Good old Gas. Scored it's another fire, goal for Cambridge. Yeah. yeah, scored um, in their 2-0 win over Fleetwoods. Uh, Diggers, Paul Digby, opened the scoring. I remember him. Um, so, yeah, win for Cambridge. I think they're, they're, like, they're doing all right, Alex, aren't they? I think they're top two now. Yeah, after all the pessimism and everyone predicting them to be 24th, it's quite nice to see them uh, going out and proving every well. Everyone wrong, maybe not, but you know, win against Oxford, who are tipped to be up there, win against Fleetwood. They'll be playing Stevenage tomorrow. I'll be at that game. Nice home game. I think that's second against third, early doors as well. So it's always nice to, to kind of go back there and also be able to, to keep across watching uh, Ahadme and also players like Jack Lancaster, of course, who... Uh, came through Towns Academy and they're now kind of slowly moving into the limelight at Cambridge. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on across the next few months. Panuche played first full 90 as well, didn't he, Rossi? Going back to the loan stuff? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he played full 90. Um, Charlton were beaten 1-0 by Peter And uh, I've watched the highlights back and uh, Panuche was at fault for the goal. But um, full 90 minutes for Panuche, so uh, good good for him. Um, Idris played the full 90 minutes for Leighton Orient, but they got beaten 4-0 at home to Portsmouth, so not a good start um, for Orient since returning to the third tier, um, but we shall see. Uh, Corey Andaba played the full 90 minutes for Kilmarnock as they drew 0-0 with Hearts, of course, last week. He was part mm. of that 1-0 win against Rangers, so a good start for Kilmarnock. Uh, Cameron Stewart, a young defender, uh, he also played a full 90 minutes for Cove Rangers as they drew 2-2 with uh, Falkirk in the Scottish League 1. Um, they scored a late equaliser for Kirk, so Cameron Stewart was denied three points. And uh, talking about Cole Skews, uh, Danny Cullum is the goalie, young goalkeeper. He made his league debut for Berrytown as they won 2-1. So Cole Skews won his first league game as they beat Brentwood Town. But Danny Cullum is at a weird start because he got sent off midweek and he got a yellow card in this game and he's a goalkeeper. So, so far he's, he's getting a few bookings, but um, he's a young kid, but um, that's good that he's playing some games. Yeah. That's going to be something that we put out every Sunday, isn't it, Rossi? A little loan watch bit, um, keeping an eye because Town have got so many players out on loan. Corin Darber, of course, single-handedly, by the sound of it, has already ended the Scottish title race with the Rangers losing that first game. It's basically over now, isn't it? They're not going to make up three points. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah. talking about titles, um, yeah. Teti Yangi, of course, Teti Yangi, Yangi, Yangi? Teti Yangi, yeah, but you Yangi, say how you yeah. feel, yeah. Yep, so yeah, I'm allowed. Uh, he played um, for his Finnish club um, yesterday. Um, he came off the bench and they're currently top of the league. They've only got three games to go. So he could potentially be winning a league title in Finland. So uh, yeah, shout out to Teti. 
What have you made, boys? Just as a, a kind of aside, uh, uh, what's going on around the, ch- the other games in the championship so far? Because it's been it's been an interesting start. Obviously, Town and Leicester are the only two teams who have won both their first two games. Norwich in an absolute cracker at the weekend. Um, they look quite good, Norwich, annoyingly, and they've got this lad uh, Jonathan Rowe, uh, midfielder, who looks very, very good indeed. Um, is there anything that's kind of piqued your interest, AJ or Stewie, uh, championship wise so far? You've kind of noticed. I'll tell you, the other guy who looks really good, by the way, is um, the winger at Leicester, Mavadidi. Um, he looks like a really, really good player. Um, hmm. I think young players are starting to come out a little bit. I think Rowe was one who caught the eye. Uh, another one who didn't really get minutes over the weekend, but in the first game at Millwall to remain essay, scored an absolute cracker off the crossbar to win at Middlesbrough, which is a fantastic, fantastic moment for him. He's coming through the academy and um, he's definitely going to be one to look out for. I think there are a few others around the Football League. <sighs> Leeds... Was a I think the, the bottom end of the tables maybe where the surprises are coming. Leeds and Middlesbrough crashing totally. I mean Middlesbrough look an absolute shadow of themselves mm. based on uh, the the end of last season and based on the expectations that they had. They're going to lose Tuberakpom to Ajax, I believe. Uh, Leeds having all sorts of off-field issues with half their squad, just saying we don't want to play anymore. Uh, I know that's happened with Nonto. It's going to happen with Sinistera, I think, as well. So they're just had so many issues there where players that they've signed in the Premier League have just said we're not going to come to St Andrews and play Birmingham not going to don't want to be involved in the squad which um yeah I think that's maybe one of the big positives that town have going for them is even though they don't have you know all the quality players these come kind of 30 million 40 million pound players that we've now seeing in the championship are playing games when you look at the difference between them and even the Middlesbrough the, the Leeds and, and teams like this they've got such a dedicated squad and I think that is maybe what is going to push this team to the top of the division or at least towards the top of the division rather when even over teams like a uh, like Leeds who just don't have that cohesion at the moment uh, at a board level there's a real security at town and it doesn't seem to be following the big teams who are currently at the bottom of the league. It's really weird seeing Tom Brady being interviewed on the, uh, the ITV highlight show. Mm-hmm about soccer and what he could bring to the club. Um, obviously, one of the greatest athletes who've ever lived, standing on the pitch at Birmingham City talking about football, just felt weird. Um, Tell you what, there's some... Birmingham have got a real feel about sort of Ipswich rewind yeah. 12 months with the takeover and yeah. the feeling of kind of we've got our club back and we've been through a lot of crap to get to this point, but there's they've, they've got a really good feel about them at the moment in complete contrast, as Alex says, to Leeds, who... Um, is is not not a good mood music surrounding them at all at the moment. But yeah, worryingly, I did say that I thought Norwich would be vastly improved this year, and I know they conceded the late goal, but they've made a decent start, haven't they? So decent, yeah. We need only two out. games in. Yeah, let's not get too carried away. Um, although that is what I do. Um, we also need to find out, of course, if 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 Town is still using the TB12 method, being as he uh, that was the exclusive type, wasn't it? I'd imagine he's taken that away now. And giving it to Birmingham, so that's something else we need to explore, friends. That brings us to the end of the show. What is he 75 minutes in? Um, I just want to give a shout out to Dino, one of the listeners who we met on Saturday, who brought us all some beers. Um, very, very kind of you indeed, Dino. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening. Also, got to meet the King of the North, John Watson, on Saturday, and it felt a little bit like meeting one of my uh, one of my heroes and also the Jubster. I shook his hand as well. What a warm man he is. Um, great to see everyone on Saturday outside. Thanks for everything you do with us, with, with Roscoe, with the, the superstar that is Roscoe, wandering around Portman Road. 
Um, and also, of course, friends, the usual reminders for our sponsors, use the code carry at manscaped.com for 20 percent off and free delivery on all that excellent clobber and support Ginger Pickle. If you uh, like your pickle ginger, as Mike Bacon, the big porker, formerly of this parish, so notably once told us, Google Ginger Pickle. Uh, and you'll get help with your Google ads, your, your search rankings, all that kind of digital stuff, which I don't really understand. But Tony Southgate and the boys at Ginger Pickle certainly do. Anything else to mention, boys? Stewie, anything else? Good to be back. Up for it. Like a new signing, you are. Yeah. Good to be back and no other business. Excellent. Friends, first part of the week is in the books. It's been a happy Monday pod, as I say. Plenty of them. Ross is pointing his cup. Yeah, just a reminder, of course, you can uh, you can get yourself some KOA Clobber as well. Link on all of our pages. And also, friends, it's the final week of the £6 for six months access deal to our digital subscriptions. So sign up if you're not already. Uh, we are setting all sorts of records, and that's down to you. Your support truly means a lot to us. So thanks very much. If you've not, take advantage of it before that offer ends this week. Friends, the first part of the week is in the books. It's been a happy Monday, like I say. Hopefully, many more of these this season. And hopefully, we'll be back later on this week to talk about the uh, QPR game. Now we're back up to full strength. Have a great start to the week, friends, and we'll speak to you again next time.